December 10th, 2017. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and this is the first of three podcasts we're going to do this week. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please go do that via iTunes. Rate it favorably. Continue to write great comments, please. You guys have been uh, excellent about that. We appreciate it and encourage you to keep doing it. Number one, Duke lost on Saturday at Boston College, Norlander. Number two, Kansas lost Sunday for the second consecutive game. Uh, fell to Washington on Thursday night in Kansas City. Lost by double digits at home Sunday afternoon to Arizona State. So let's start this with two questions. One, what's more surprising, Duke losing at BC or ASU winning at Allen Fieldhouse? Two, how good is Arizona State? I'm going to go reverse on you here, which is a common move used by coaches in press conferences when reporters are silly to ask two questions in one pro tip. Try and keep it as simple as possible. But I could have just, I could have just uh, like done what the most sports writers do, which is ask you to talk about Arizona State. Hey, can you talk about yeah. Arizona and State? I, I'm going to talk about Arizona State right now, real quick on them, and then I'm going to get to your first question, which actually is a tough one. Uh, Arizona State's really, really good. I know we're going to get into discussion on where they should be in the rankings. Perhaps we're going to talk this through before you even formulate your top 25 and one, because we are recording this on Sunday, late afternoon, early evening before. Your rankings are done. I agree with basically everyone that's saying Arizona State's got to be a top five team right now. As for number one, I don't think Arizona State's the best team in the country. Its resume is up there to be the best, obviously. We're uh, losing undefeated teams by the day, and they are one of the few that are left remaining, and they have a really good pair of uh, top-tier wins right now. Uh, Broadly speaking, I think Arizona State is much better than anyone thought they were going to be at this point. They've got a lot of really good offense, and they're a hell of a lot of fun. What's the more impressive uh, win or most more surprising outcome here. Well, Duke was on the road. Kansas was at home. Kansas almost never loses at home, but Kansas definitely had the tougher opponent. Uh, given the way that Duke has played and uh, flirted with fire in multiple games this season, I'll say Kansas's loss was more surprising, even though the Jayhawks were coming off um, a, a very surprising loss the way that it did against Washington. Uh, full disclosure, we are recording this podcast before Gonzaga plays its game against Washington. Uh, late on Sunday night. I am intrigued to see what happens with that. And uh, if Washington wins that game in a weird way, it might actually help Kansas look even better. But with Duke, um, the, a very, I think a tougher road environment than, than they might have expected, even though Boston College doesn't exactly fill up that building regularly. Um, they had gotten into some trouble with some second half deficits. And Boston College did a great job on Bagley. I mean, you wrote a column on it. I'll let, certainly let you speak to a lot of what happened there. Uh, it is. We were talking about this on last week's podcast. Um, it is bizarre that we have so many top five teams losing to unranked opponents. It had never happened so much in the first month of the season ever in the history of the AP poll. And here we go again with Duke losing on the road. Now, Boston College, it should be noted, it's even more surprising because they did not have Deontay Hawkins, their fifth year grad transfer, and he's done for the season. They win without him. They win with their guard play. They were they were terrific. Arizona State similarly has been awesome with its guard play. So I'll I'll volley it back to you, GP, in terms of if you want to tackle Duke first in BC or if you want to go with uh, what's fresh in our minds here, and that's Kansas being unable to keep up with Arizona State down the stretch at the fog. Well, let's focus on Duke and BC first because I, I think you're right in terms of what's more surprising. Even though Duke was a 15-point favorite at Boston College and Kansas was only a 12-point favorite at home against Arizona State, Uh, I still am a little more surprised that Kansas lost at home. I thought after losing in Kansas City to Washington, 
um, they'd snap back to looking the way uh, they typically look and the way we thought they would uh, look. And they just, you know, uh, they, they let it the half, um, but then uh, end up, you know, Arizona State just couldn't stop them. I mean, Arizona State is terrific offensively. They've shown that consistently this season. And then, um, and, and then they just, you know, it, it got down by double digits. The Jayhawks did and, and could never uh, quite come back. Arizona State sort of coasted uh, in the final minute. Uh, Duke-Boston College, the reason I wasn't that surprised by that, even though Duke was a 15-point favorite, young team starting four freshmen, true road game for the first time. This kind of stuff does actually happen in college basketball. Like, I'm not going to say anybody can beat anybody if you got home court advantage, but good teams lose to grossly inferior teams uh, all the time on in true road games. And anywhere Duke goes is going to be uh, an intense environment. Not always hostile, because I think the breakdown at Boston College was like 50% Duke fans, 50% Boston College fans. But still, they were in an environment unlike something they had been in, involved in so far this season. And when you ask four freshmen who haven't been playing defense, who have been falling behind to go win that game, yeah, I thought Duke was going to win, but I wasn't like, oh, my God, I can't, I could not even imagine them losing. I, I didn't go into that on Saturday with that. To your point, which is sort of what I wrote about, Duke became the fourth preseason top 10 team AP poll to lose a game to a sub-75 Ken Palm team already this season. We talked about this on the last podcast because I noticed that, yo, this has already happened three times, three times before this weekend. I wonder how rare that is. Like I told you on the last podcast, it only happened three times all last season, the entire season, three times. A preseason top 10 AP team losing to a sub-75 Ken Palm opponent. It's already happened four times this season thanks to Duke, Kansas, Florida, and Arizona. And it happened three times in a four-day span, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So the question becomes, why does this keep happening, right? That's when I sat down to write the column on Saturday afternoon. Like, is, is there an obvious explanation for why these pretty significant upsets are happening? Um, and what I found is two things. One, a common thread between three of the four preseason top 10 teams that, that – lost these games is that they're not at full strength or they haven't been at full strength you know when Arizona lost its game to NC State Raleigh Hawkins obviously wasn't involved Florida is missing uh, um, multiple rotation guys including John Igbuno who started I believe 19 games uh, last season and then um, Kansas of course is without Billy Preston a five-star freshman that they thought was going to be a, a key piece so three of the teams um, are are like just not operating at full strength. They were ranked in the top 10 based on the rosters in place, but they haven't been able to, to take advantage of those full rosters. They are not right now, or at least haven't been when they took those losses, what, they, what we thought they'd be or what they probably will end up being. So that's one common thread. The other one, and this is true in all four of those losses, when uh, Kansas lost to Washington, when Duke lost to Boston College, when Arizona lost to NC State and when Florida lost to Loyola Chicago, you got out-of-character three-point performances on both sides for the underdogs in a great way and for the favorites in a uh, devastating way. And Duke, I think, was the most obvious example of that. Duke was 8 of 30 on Saturday at Boston College from the three-point line, 26.7%. Boston College was 15 of 26 
they shot 57.7% from the three-point line. Like, that's a – they're way out of character. Boston College was in a positive way. Duke, way out of character in a negative way from beyond the arc. And that's how you, that's how you end up with a big, big upset. For some context here, when Arizona lost to NC State, they were 2 of 17, 11.8% from the three-point line. The Wolfpack were 8 of 20, that's 40%. When Florida lost to Loyola, 2 of 19 from the three-point line, 10.5%. Loyola was 6 of 12, 50%. And when Kansas lost to Washington, they were 5 of 20 from the three-point line. Washington was 9 of 21, 42.9%. Again, the underdog shot better than it usually does in every single one of those games. And the favorite was horrendous from beyond the arc, way out of character in every single one of those games. So if you're trying to figure out how do these losses keep happening, uh, the three-point line seems to be the, the obvious, uh, at least uh, the most obvious contributing factor. Yeah, and so and so frequently it's it's been a game changer, college level, pro level, as we've seen, um, and it can really bite you. And more and more as teams philosophically, as coaches philosophically, embrace the three-pointer as they should because it can be such an efficient uh, shot, even though I think there are plenty of players who enter college not nearly as good from the three-point line as they think they are. Plenty grow into that, and it's just become... Uh, a fundamental necessity uh, for pretty much any any Division One coach worth his salt. You cannot uh, be abandoning those principles and hope to succeed in the long term without three-point shooting. But when it comes back to bite you, it will bite you. That's an inevitability, and I think that's part of what makes college basketball in particular a lot of fun here is there are no guarantees. You can choose to play like that, and you can have a lot of success, but you will lose games, and you will get picked off against inferior competition because sometimes it's just not going to be your night. In particular, when you're playing on the road, it can really hurt you. Uh, that's one thing that I've always loved about college basketball and love more and more about it right now. I'll do one more note here on Duke-Boston College. Well, two. One, uh, it was a great watch overall. It was great to see Boston College um, get up for that kind of game because I think we would both agree that if Duke had got gone in there, flown home with the 26-point win after the Hawkins injury, we really wouldn't have been surprised. Or really, you know, no buzz. It's just, yeah, Duke doing what it should do. Let's wait until further in the season when you see they might get picked off or whatever. But instead, you no, know, BC shows up, plays really, really well, and withstood a Duke run late because they did have a, an early lead. Additionally, credit to Brett Strelo, um, who was a former sports writer in the North Carolina area. I believe now he works in sports information uh, in Asheville. Um, Brett, I think you listen to this podcast, so shout out to you, because I think this is something that you have tracked for a good long while. This is just kind of a wild stat here. No team, as you might expect, gets court-stormed as much as Duke does. Since <laughs> right. 1997, um, they have been, uh, they have, let's see, uh, Duke has lost 68 times. Okay, here's, I'm going to read his exact uh, graphic tweet. Mm-hmm. Since 1997, on the heels of a two-season stretch in when Duke went 31-31 and 31 and fell out of the rankings, the Blue Devils have compiled a 146-68 and 68 road record. By the way, that's tremendously good for a road record overall. Students have rushed the floor 50 of the 68 times that Duke has lost on the road. That's, I mean, if you're Mike Krzyzewski at this point, and he has spoken out about this in the past, but you got to be just like, so abysmally sick of all this. So BC did it this year. Last season, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, and Miami did it. Actually, in the 2015-2016 season, only that year, and in 98-99 and 99-2000, those are the only seasons since 1997 when Duke did not have the court stormed on it. There have been plenty of seasons where there have been uh, four fan bases that have done it. Um, just kind of remarkable to see uh, – this inevitability happened and there are other teams that you know occasionally haven't done it but i thought that was a, a pretty interesting stat real quick let me loop back around gp to uh to kansas and arizona state um 
I do want to give a lot of credit here to Arizona State. They're a very, very good team. Kansas almost never loses on its home floor. Uh, I, I had a piece I tweeted out. Uh, I did this almost two years ago in which Bill Self at that point had only lost nine games ever at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. It simply almost never happens. Strangely, six of the coaches who have done that are no longer even head coaches anymore, either due to retirement or just got out of the business, et cetera, et cetera. But you would think the guys who had actually have defeated Bill Self might be more prominent coaches, but most of the coaches on that list are not, and even some, like Mark Fox, find themselves on the hot seat at a different job. Um, but I do give credit to Arizona State for doing what they did. Cannot deny that Kansas needs Billy Preston, and in an outcome like this, it might be easy to say, yeah, if Preston was on the floor, he would have helped, but he might not have been the difference. Actually, maybe he would have, because Kansas is not super deep. Um, they're not getting as much all-around performance from their backcourt as I think that they should, but clearly the issues down low are, are very pressing, and with, with Preston, as it pertains to his issue with this car, the financials, he still is not eligible. We don't. Self has said he thinks it's happening soon. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I have no idea. I can't speak to that. But they need him a lot because right now Kansas does not look like a top five team. And that is including, I went back and watched a little bit of tape of the Washington game, what they look like there. And then obviously I saw most of that Arizona State game to lose the way they did. Yes, if you're a Kansas fan... It's just time for a little bit of concern. Wonder when Preston's going to come back. And Graham has been good. I think Graham has been a top six, seven player in college basketball at this point overall. Um, but they're going to need more than that. And Svee's going to have to be more consistent. Malik Newman came in with high expectations. He's got to be a little bit better. They are good in spurts. They're just not consistent yet. And we'll see if they can get this all fixed up in time for January. To the uh, Billy Preston point, um, I'm not sure when his de facto suspension is going to end. But I will say that nine games is a pretty normal extra benefit suspension when it comes to NCAA cases. Uh, because there's a certain, there's like a, I don't have it in front of me, but a scale. You know, but like if it's, yeah. if it's uh, above this amount, but below this amount, it's, it's three games. If it's above this amount, but below this well, amount, it's six games. Yeah, it's percentage on the schedule. It's usually what lines up to like 10% is three games of a 30-game schedule, and then there's six games and nine games. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. So, like, my point is uh, Kansas just played its ninth game of the year, seven and two right now. So, um, let's just uh, – I won't be shocked if we see Billy Preston uh, very, very soon. I was surprised to see Kansas lose for all the reasons you stated. Um, they were 12-point favorite. They were inside Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, they're supposed to be uh, the better team, but they didn't look like the better team, and I'm not sure that they are the better team because Arizona State, you know, when we talk about some of these surprising results, you know, we're talking about they're, they're, they're surprising results without other surprising results or impressive results connected to them. Arizona State's not that. Arizona State is now 9-0. and They've got... I tweeted it earlier, four top 50 Ken Palm wins. They handled Xavier easily on a neutral court, won that one 102-86. 102, GP. 102-86. They've got, they've got a 92-90 win over Kansas State, Kansas State team that's not bad. They beat St. John's. Now, St. John's was shorthanded, but either way, they did that on Friday night, 82-70. And then they go into Allen Fieldhouse and win 95-85. They're operating with one of the top five offenses in America. Um, 
not great defensively, but you don't have to be when the other team can't stop you from scoring. And, man, time after time after time on Sunday afternoon, knocking down big threes in transition in the half court, getting to the rim whenever they wanted to get to the rim. Just a really, A, fun, but also impressive basketball team Bobby Hurley's got. Very impressive, and uh, by the time many of you are listening to this, probably on Monday, I should have a story up on just ASU and, and putting their start in a little bit of context here and and how they've been able to do this because it's it, certain programs do have these, these ebbs and flows and these cycles where they kind of pop up. For Arizona to be this good at this point, I, I think it is a general surprise for pretty much all of us, even though I did think that Arizona was going to squeak in. I mean, go back, check my 1-351 to 351 rankings. I thought Arizona State was going to be right in that getting into Dayton, maybe just out. I knew they were going to be improved. I thought they were going to be a top half of the t- league in the Pac-12. Obviously, nowhere close to this. It also brings about a, a fun little subplot here in that the state of Arizona will have a lot of interesting stuff going on between Arizona and Arizona State. Those are two really good programs. Maybe they wind up as the two best teams in the league by the season's end because you know, USC just dropped a game at Staples on Friday night GP to an Oklahoma team that looks very, very good and very improved as well. But USC was a preseason top 10 team. Maybe they get back into that top two in the Pac-12 overall. But right now, they're nowhere near close to what Arizona State is. They are a, they are a ton of fun. Did you want to chat Arizona, by the way? We'll get to Arizona. Uh, yeah. But with Arizona State, okay, so here's the question. Where would you have them ranked right now? Like I said, 9-0, and yeah. four top 50 Ken Palm wins. Um, a win over Xavier, which is a, at least according to my rankings, a top 15 team and not just a win, but a double digit win, like blowout. And then you go into, uh, Allen Fieldhouse and no matter what you think about Kansas, um, that's still a top 10 Ken Palm team. It's still the Kansas freaking Jayhawks. You went in there and handled them. I, I'll, I'll say this right now. Nobody's got a better resume. Okay. So, but right. Michigan State would be close, but they have a loss. They're, Michigan State's beaten Carolina and Notre Dame, which is a couple solid wins, but Arizona State hasn't lost, and Michigan State has. I think that's. The- uh, I mean, Villanova has two wins over ranked teams, Gonzaga, Tennessee, and they are undefeated. I I mean, like, spoiler alert, as I'm messing around with the top 25-1, and one, like before we started this podcast, I think I've got Villanova 1 and Arizona State 2 because I don't know how you put any of the one-loss teams – Ahead of Arizona State, Michigan State's got a loss to a Duke team that just lost to freaking Boston College. North Carolina lost to that Michigan State team. Wichita State lost to a Notre Dame team that lost to Ball State. Kentucky lost to the Kansas team that just lost to Washington and Arizona State. A&M uh, lost to the Arizona team that has already got three losses. West Virginia lost to that A&M team. Virginia lost to that West Virginia team. Duke lost to Boston College. What is the problem with, with having Arizona State number two? Gosh, you're gonna need to take a nap at the end of this. Yes, you're. you're <laughs> Do you, you? Can you tell how much I look at this stuff that I can just rattle all that out off the top of my head? I know all that. I know. That's first of all, that's that's Rain Man level right there. Number two, you, our freaking account on this podcast for Paris is at two. Let's see if we can. It's <laughs> over. Uh, and yeah, when you're starting to look at what teams have lost to other teams that have lost to other teams or beaten other teams. It can get a little bit tricky, but I want to note to listeners that we are now essentially 33% of the way through the season from a games played standpoint. 30-game regular season for the most part with every team, and pretty much every team has played anywhere between 8, and 11, 12 games at this at this point. So I say that to give validation to what Parrish is talking about here. You remove most of all the preseason notions and connotations, and with a lot of non-conference schedule uh, having been completed and teams only having one, two, three, four more games against non-con opponents – 
then you start looking at who they've beat and, and start aligning the teams and their resumes appropriately. And yes, right now, I think Villanova absolutely should be the number one team. I think Villanova is right now the best team in college basketball. Arizona State, I would have at number two, just narrowly ahead personally of Michigan State, which I would keep at number three. Probably have Wichita State, I think, at number four, but I haven't thought this out, obviously, as much as you because I'm not required to do daily rankings. Arizona you. State at number two is my pick. I will be interested to see just where the AP voters wind up putting them collectively in Monday's poll because they are what right now? 16 parish in the AP? Do you Ari- know? Arizona State, yes, 16th in the AP poll. I find it hard to believe that Arizona State will jump from 16 to 2, but it would be a refreshingly uh, unique circumstance because that almost never happens. Uh, they'll probably sneak into the top five with after these wins, but uh, personally, I'm with you. ASU, number two. Yeah, I think it's Villanova, Arizona State, and like if AP voters tomorrow want to rank Arizona State number one in the country, they'll get a pass from me in the poll attacks. Like You can absolutely reasonably do it which is um, just bananas and a testament to, to, to what Bobby Hurley's doing uh, at ASU. Because you mentioned Arizona, let's talk about them very briefly. Um, they obviously lost three straight in the battle for Atlantis, finished dead last. The losses were the previously mentioned North Carolina State loss, then the SMU loss, then the Purdue loss. They've won four straight since then, murdered Long Beach State, beat uh, UNLV in overtime, knocked out Texas A&M, which is a nice win because Texas A&M has looked great this year, and then they handled Alabama late Saturday um, at home. Um, you're back with, you, on board with, with Arizona. I've got them back in the top 25 and one. I, I don't know that, and I think I've said this previously on a podcast, I don't know that they're going to be what a lot of us, myself included, thought they were going to be in the preseason, but they at least look like a top 25 team now. They're going to be a top 25 team and stay in there so long as DeAndre Ayton continues to do what he's doing. And Woo, all he's looks something, good. man. He's ridiculous. And that was a very fun game against Alabama to watch on Saturday night because of all the talent on the floor. I mean, it's not just – it's not Sexton's the guy that stands out for Alabama, and he's just an awesome – I mean, he's going to be a top 10 pick. He's fantastic. But Dazon Ingram's fun to watch. John Petty's a really good freshman overall, in my opinion. They've got plenty of interesting pieces on that Crimson Tide team that should get into the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. But they, they did – they had a good shot to get nice back-to-back wins. They defeated Rhode Island, who's going to get to the tournament out of the A-10, my expectation anyway. Um, but it was a tough task. To go into Arizona and get that, that's a, that's a hard ask, so no no fault on behalf of Bama. As for Arizona, I mean, Aiton goes for career highs. I I don't have the box in front of me. I think it was 29-18, and 18, um, which he is – you watch him play, and a lot of times it's, it's just he's unfair at this level. Um, my brother, uh, my youngest brother, Cody, was texting me and just asking about comparisons with uh, with Greg Oden because he said, you know, what do you think about Aiton as he compared to Oden as a college player? Um, and I said, honestly, Aiton's more skilled, but Oden was probably a better, like a little bit better defensively, a little bit better on the boards, but Oden didn't have the jump shot that Aiton has. And Oden also played injured uh, kind of throughout most of his freshman season at Ohio State. But I, don't forget about how awesome Greg Oden was as a prospect and as a college player. There's a reason why he went number one in the draft over Kevin Durant, and it wasn't considered really all that controversial at the time. And yeah, his body failed him afterward, but he was such a tremendous, tremendous big man. I do think DeAndre Ayton, uh, whose situation in terms of the pieces around him, I think is relatively similar to what Oden had at Ohio State. And of course, that's an Ohio State team that lost to Florida in the national championship game that season. I think Aiton could be 
a lot of what Odin was for the Buckeyes back then. Um, they're not identical players, but a lot of their attributes, I, th- I think, are similar. And they just they both look like players that had no business playing college basketball. He is awesome. If Arizona can get all the pieces clicking around him, Raleigh Alkins came back, was on the floor. He definitely made a difference. I think you could make the argument if Alkins wasn't on the floor, maybe Alabama gets lucky and just barely steals it. But he was there. Zona got the win. They're looking good. I don't expect them to drop out of the top 25 again this season because I think they're going to win their next game against New Mexico on the road. Yes, it is on the road, but New Mexico's not good. And uh, and then they got North Dakota State, and then they got UConn, and that's in Arizona. They're probably going to get enough wins there to be secure enough in the rankings that even if they did drop their home game against Arizona State on December 30th, that'll probably still be enough for them to stay in the polls. Real quick on the Odin-Ayton thing. Odin was a... Like, first off, DeAndre Ayton's way more skilled, way more skilled than Greg Oden ever was. But Greg Oden was such a force defensively, like just a, like a freak athlete, way better athlete than Ayton, blocked everything, altered everything. I don't uh, know if he was way better athlete, but like, yeah, but he was defensively, I would definitely take Oden. There's no doubt about it. You go back to that national championship game and it was Greg Oden, Joachim Noah, Al Horford, Chris Richard. Was it Chris Richard? I think it was Chris Richard. Um, like Florida had all these bigs, pro bigs, NBA bigs, Horford, Noah. Those guys have been all NBA guys. And Odin was so much better than everybody that night. I mean, and, and playing like with one hand half the season. Uh, your point is exactly the way people should remember Greg Odin. Kevin Durant was awesome at Texas. I mean, just like unbelievable. And it wasn't even controversial to take Greg Odin over him at the time. It wasn't even considered like possibly stupid now i'm not saying everybody would have done it but the overwhelming majority of nba franchises wanted odin over durant even though durant was national player of the year and unbelievable from start to finish that's what kind of force uh greg odin was but i tell you with with ayton so i i watch marvin bagley play and i just go okay that's the number one pick in the draft and then i watch Aiton and i go how can you pass on deandre ayton and we haven't even seen michael porter jr and then uh, the, there's Luka Doncic, who's like apparently I haven't seen him nearly as much. I've seen him on YouTube, but is apparently like, ev- like in, in some people's eyes, better than all of them. Nuts to me, but I believe it. But I'm just saying, like to have that big of a log jam at the top GP, and it's not like a, it's not like, eh, who we got to take number one? Who's our default? No, these are dudes that like in most years would be viable as number one overall pick. It's the only reason I'm not like depressed about the Grizzlies sucking so bad right now without Mike Conley is like, I'm starting to imagine Mike Conley, Marcus Gasol and Marvin Bagley or Mike Conley, Marcus Gasol and, and Deandre Ayton or Mark, Mike Conley, Marcus Gasol and, and Michael Porter jr. Like I've already flipped it to where I'm, I'm in full tank mode now with the Grizzlies and ready to watch uh, one of these awesome 19 year olds, move uh, within a mile of, of Bill Street. Uh, let me tell you about SeatGeek, which is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. That's what I've learned over the years thanks to SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell tickets in just two taps. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, um, it helps you find the best prices at the best seats. That's all fully guaranteed. It's going to save you time. It's going to save you money. And the reason it's going to save you time and money is because it's going to search multiple ticket sites for you to compare prices and find amazing deals. You can trust you're never getting ripped off. The days of searching this ticket site and that ticket site and another ticket site, over. You don't do that anymore. SeatGeek does it for you. So you don't have to worry about, man, can I get a better price or a better seat if I go to this other place? SeatGeek handles it for you. So if you haven't already, download that app. Download the app. Get it on your phone. 
And next time you're buying tickets to a basketball game, football game, concert, any sort of live event, check Seat Geek first. And remember, use the College BB promo code. That's College BB to get $20 off your first Seat Geek purchase. That's Seat Geek, millions of tickets in one place. Norlander, Florida and Arkansas both got good wins on a Saturday. Uh, Florida beat Cincinnati on a neutral court. Arkansas beat Minnesota at Bud Walton. And the SEC right now has six top 40 Ken Palm teams. And Tennessee is one of the more surprising teams in the country. They've got that win over Purdue. They played Villanova to single digits, and that's the only loss. We have, I think, on this podcast for a few years now been talking about, you know, the SEC just looks like it's one year away from breaking through, and then it never actually happens. It looks like the SEC is breaking through now. Kentucky still doesn't have a quality win, but it's Kentucky. They're going to be fine, or at least they should be. Florida doesn't, like, yeah, went on that three-game losing streak, but they don't look like that team, or at least they didn't look like that team on Saturday against Cincinnati. Arkansas looks like a tournament team. Tennessee has been surprising. Alabama at full strength is, is I think, super talented and top 25-ish good. Texas A&M has proven itself, I think, already. Pretty good basketball league, huh? Yeah, and if you want a snapshot of why that's the case. Go look at it, recruiting rankings. Yes, the recruiting ratings, uh, rankings have absolutely, the ratings and rankings, uh, from prospects to overall class rankings, uh, it, it is corresponding. And while... Ken Palm is still not fully uh, ranking teams based off this year's data alone and taking in some some preseason prognostications into it. Just know this. In every year of the SEC's existence, there are multiple teams that have finished outside the top 100 of the Ken Palm rankings. And as of right now, the lowest ranked team is LSU at 88, and they're 4-2. and two. Even Vanderbilt at 3-6 and six is 7-7. Seven and seven. I think that that'll start to turn on them if they don't start getting better in the non-con here pretty soon. But the numbers are telling you right now that this is undeniably a much better league. It ranks fourth overall in strength of schedule at our strength of conference overall at Ken Palm and Sagarin uh, ahead of the Big Ten. That's certainly uh, a little bit of a plot twist overall, given what the Big Ten has been team wise specifically right now. If you're a fan of these teams, you still have rational expectations to be right there to get into the tournament. A&M, Kentucky, uh, Florida, Arkansas, Bama. Tennessee, I think you're all there. Now, Auburn has been good, but I think we still need to see more. They've started off better than I expected them to. Um, Records-wise, Missouri and South Carolina, uh, Mississippi State is Mississippi State is still undefeated. Wait, they might be the only undefeated team in the league, right? Yeah, I think so. They haven't beaten uh, anybody. Haven't beaten anybody, but still undefeated, so we still wait and see. Georgia, as we mentioned earlier, Mark Fox enters the season on the hot seat. We'll see. The only programs right now that feel they got to have some sort of massive turnaround to have a shot are Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, LSU, in my opinion. And Vanderbilt made the tournament last season, and it's been a little bit of a, of a bizarre year. I did expect them to come back to earth, but they've also had a very tough schedule, haven't taken advantage of any of those wins, unlike last season. When they got some key wins with an average record, they still were able to squeak in. So that's a good sign for the SEC that we get a month into the season, and there's still a lot of teams with either zero, one, or two losses, and even a team like Alabama that's got three and a team like Florida that's got three, the resumes overall are fairly respectable. I will give some quick love here to Tennessee because they are way better than I expected. I was so wrong about them. Their only loss is to undefeated Villanova. They have the win over Purdue. Um, they, their strength of schedule isn't massive at this point. They've got a great opportunity a week from now. In fact, maybe we save the Tennessee talk to see how they play against the Tar Heels on Sunday, December 17th. That's at home. That's their next game 
Uh, if they are able to win that, and yes, that is at home, credit to Roy Williams for scheduling that game. That would be a big-time outcome. Florida needed that win over Cincinnati. That was one of that was the only game that day between two top 25 ranked teams. I guess technically Nevada and TCU was also one of those games. But as we promised, we were well asleep by the time that game tipped off. Oh, I so, had no idea. So absolutely none of it. Shout out to TCU for remaining to be a good team and getting that win. The Gators needed this. They would have had four straight losses if not. And now they have a good win over Cincinnati uh, to pair with their good win against Gonzaga. Um, I still think that this will be the best team when we get to the end of the SEC season. That's just my my personal feeling on it because I think that they're going to have enough offense and get to a top 15, top 10 level defensively. So a huge win there. Cincinnati now uh, is facing its own losing streak. And I still believe in the Bearcats as a top 25 team but they need to rebound and beat Mississippi State, and then they've got a tough road game against UCLA next weekend. Last team you mentioned was Arkansas. Fairly anonymous, I get that. They don't have any standout studs. They haven't been uh, featured on a lot of broadcasts because they just aren't that appealing yet, but they are 7-2. and two. They've got a really solid backcourt. You know, Jalen Barford was looking at leaving last season, but he didn't. He came back. Daryl Macon's a really solid player overall, and uh, Anton Beard's another senior who's a big-time factor. They've got the offense to be a top three team in the SEC. We'll see if they can keep that up. They don't have anyone of interest until Saturday, December 30th. That is a home game against Tennessee. If both those teams continue to win, if Tennessee can beat North Carolina, then that that will be a huge game on New Year's Eve weekend. Credit to the SEC with what it's done. GP, for you, who is the biggest... I don't want to. I don't know if I want to say surprise because I think the answer then would be clearly Tennessee. Sure. But the but the the biggest plot line in the SEC for you to this point, what what team would that be? I think Tennessee. I mean, like that's that's a team that was picked. I think thirteenth in the preseason SEC poll. They're not supposed to be good, and it's not like, well, you know, you discounted them, but uh, because uh, you thought their star recruits were too young to flourish this quickly. They don't have star recruits. I think they've got like three top 150 kids and the rest of them are just guys. Like that's the thing in in, uh, year three. This is year three for Rick Barnes in Knoxville. It's like he has not recruited at a high level, um, which was sort of the knock on him at the end of, of his time at Texas. And yet he has taken these mostly, uh, whatever pieces and turned it into a, a good basketball team. Like, it's one thing just to play Villanova close. I mean, like LaSalle played Villanova close, whatever. Um, it, it's quite another thing to own a win over Purdue, play Villanova tight, uh, go win a game at Georgia Tech convincingly, and not slip up anywhere. I mean, as we've talked about at the top of this podcast, even even like top 10 teams are slipping up. And Tennessee hasn't slipped up at all. Um, they played Villanova tight. They beat Purdue. They've won a road game. I, I'm not you know, 100% convinced this is going to hold up. Like, I could see SEC, you know, I could see them taking a loss at home to North Carolina, and then once they get into the SEC schedule, falling back. Like, if we're sitting up uh, in February and talking about, man, remember Tennessee's nice start, and now they're not even on the bubble? That, that will not surprise me. But uh, credit where credit's due. You know, like uh, Rick Barnes has got this thing operating at a pretty good level right now. I think Tennessee fans are actually um, excited on some level, interested on some level about what's happening with the basketball program. And that probably hasn't been the case um, maybe since Bruce left uh, yeah. back back when Bruce was obviously uh, forced out. One quick thing on the SEC before we get out of here. I, I did a story a couple years ago, like why is the SEC not great at basketball? 
And there were a lot of different reasons. But one of the points, like the largest point I made was it's coming. Like they obviously they haven't been great and it's not great now, but it's on the way. And what I was basing it on is like if you just look at recruiting rankings, they're they're bringing talented guys into the league. But a story that I was told at the time, and it's never I've never forgotten it, was that Mike Slive, like in his final years as the SEC commissioner, like sat down with the basketball people, uh, his athletic directors, and and basically said, we have this SEC network now. We need quality inventory and the best quality inventory because their big football games are obviously going to CBS and ESPN and whatever. The most inventory in terms of quality stuff, we can actually get people to watch our network. It's men's basketball. There's a lot of men's basketball on the going to be on the SEC network. So if you are good, great. If not, do what you have to do to get good. If you got the right coach, pay him and don't ever lose it. If you don't have the right coach, Pay them to go away and get the right coach. Invest in your facilities. Invest in your recruiting budgets. Invest in everything across the board. We have more money than we know what to do with in this league. Spend it on men's basketball. And from that, you watch um, you know, uh, uh, Tennessee go out and hire an accomplished coach like Rick Barnes. Alabama go out and hire a former NBA coach of the year, Avery Johnson. South Carolina go out and hire Frank Martin. Missouri, when it was time to pull the trigger, is willing to pull the trigger. Go get Conzo Martin. Pay Conzo Martin. Auburn pays Bruce Pearl. Mississippi State goes out and pays Ben Howland. Vanderbilt goes out and, and, and beats an ACC school for Bryce Drew. And now Bryce Drew is recruiting at a high level. Got two, like, yeah, got I, I, yeah, like two top ten kids coming. Um, the, the school's there. You know, LSU is able to go out and hire VCU's coach. Like for a while, uh, when, when the VCU's previous coach, Shaka Smart, like nobody could hire Shaka Smart until Texas finally did it. LSU did what it had to do to go out and hire VCU's coach. So my point being, those universities in the SEC, with, with few exceptions and perhaps no exception, have like Ole Miss built a brand new arena, the Pavilion, which is beautiful, a beautiful on-campus facility. Um, like the, these, these SEC schools have invested in men's basketball in all the ways that you can invest in men's basketball. And I think what we're seeing right now, finally, is, is the byproduct of that. Took a little longer than I thought it was going to take, but, um, but here we are. Like I said, six top 40 Ken Palm teams in Texas A&M, Kentucky, Florida at least. I mean, if any of those teams ended up in the Elite Eight Final Four, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. Remember... You can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via iTunes, so please go do that. It makes a difference. We appreciate it, and know that we'll be back, I guess, probably Wednesday morning. Norlander, Wednesday morning sound good to you? We will not be back Wednesday morning. We will be back Tuesday afternoon slash early evening because I have to travel Tuesday night for work and will not be able to podcast on Wednesday morning. So that's what I was, that was, that's what I was trying to transition you to before, <laughs> you, before you hit that on-ramp to the outro to the podcast. So, yes, we will uh, – there's not anything happening on Monday in hoops, and then Tuesdays are a relatively light slate, but we'll uh, we'll make what we can of it on Tuesday's podcast. We'll make what we can of it on Tuesday's podcast. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to the legendary MF and Teagle. And go subscribe to the Iron Back College Basketball Podcast. You can do that at iTunes, and we will be back on Tuesday. Till then, take care. <laughs>